Hello and welcome to the ASB Investment Podcast, a show that keeps you up to date on the markets and helps you make smart choices with your investments. I'm your host, Chris Tennant-Brown, and joining me in the booth today is ASB Senior Economist Mike Jones. The government's recent tax changes to housing have come as a bit of a surprise to many, so we'll be chatting about what this means for our housing market outlook. We'll also be sharing our thoughts on the bond market and the continuing struggles of the New Zealand share market, and what all these things mean for local investors. These are entirely our own views. It's not investment advice, but we know plenty of experts at ASB who will be happy to chat if you need. Hey Mike, well welcome back to the booth. Uh, it's a bit's changed since we uh, chatted a couple of months ago and uh, we're thinking about the outlook for the year and probably the biggest surprise for me was the uh, the tax changes for for housing which which came about. They were they were a little bit more uh, aggressive than I thought and I thought it would be great to get you back and amongst other things chat about what you think about that and and what it might have meant for your uh, for your housing outlook, which was fairly upbeat when we were when we were talking a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Chris. Good to be back in the booth with you. And look, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, firstly congratulate you on becoming New Zealand's, as far as I'm aware, only economist slash commercial pilot. Uh, so it's quite quite a diverse range of skills you're, you're gathering. Oh yeah, thanks for that. That's what's that's what's been keeping me busy for a, a, for a, for a couple of months and. Uh, I'm pleased to put the study behind me. I and in, in the end, I, I felt very similar to what I did when I was at university. In other words, I just hated myself because I'd spent so many hours and hours and hours just reading books and trying to memorise stuff. So it's it's good to be popping out the other side and turning back into a normal person again yeah. after all that study. That was exciting. There's spending hours and hours in a plane, no doubt. So, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure you'll be doing more of. Yeah. But anyway, housing. Yeah. So um, yeah, some big changes. Uh, some some were a surprise um, in terms of some of the detail, certainly, you know. But I think if you if you step back, um, in some sense, what we've seen is is not all that surprising, given that you know the government was under a lot of pressure about housing. The housing boom had really got away on or everyone, uh, and what they've done is react to, to to try and rein it in. And so that was always the risk. Really, would been flagging that risk that something was going to happen. No one, of course, knew quite what. The announcements would be, but um, but the, but yeah, you know, we we were always going to see some sort of action, and we've, we've seen that um, in terms of those tax changes. Yeah, the, the, uh, when we did the first bunch of analysis of what tax changes could and do to uh, property, uh, I think we built a spreadsheet. Uh, well, it was back in the national government era, so it would be uh, ten years ago. And at that time, we thought any changes to the interest rate deductibility would probably be the, uh, the have the most impact. Mm. Is that how you feel now when you've been looking at things? Yeah, there's a big impact coming through, and certainly it's it's been a happy hunting ground for for spreadsheeters um, to get in there and put some numbers in and actually see what the impact is on on the marginal investor. Uh, our numbers say. Um, you know the, the impact is is material, and and without going necessarily into all the details, I think the key thing is that losing that deductibility will flip a number of investors into a, a cash flow negative position. So whether as before you, they might have owned a house that was sort of roughly washing its face, um, and, and you know as as it went through time and allowing the capital gains to build up, now you know investors, particularly highly leveraged investors, are going to have to chip some funds in. Uh, i.e. that the house isn't washing its face anymore because it's because of the loss of, of deductibility. Um, and so that will mean some some changes for some parts of the market, uh, we think. So um, 
it's very difficult, of course, to translate all of that through into what, what does it mean for the macro economy? What does it mean for houses, uh, house prices across New Zealand? So we've made some assumptions on that front. Um, but I think, you know, the broader picture is one where we'd already started to flag, I think in March, we sort of said, well, that's probably the peak in housing in terms of the growth rate of, of house prices. We think, think we thought things were likely to come off or slow down a little bit through this year. Um, and so the changes that we've seen really just add a bit of um, a bit of punch to that view, really. So instead of perhaps a gradual um, easing in, in house price inflation this year, we think it's likely to be a bit more rapid. Um, but, you know, again, stepping back big picture, we don't think prices are about to fall aggressively anytime soon. And so what that means is, uh, if we're right in terms of our, our numbers and our forecasts, is that the big run-up we've seen in house prices in the past 18 months uh, is largely going to be sustained. So that's that, – so you, you have to remember that's still quite an upbeat sort of outlook for, for house prices. Um, and, and, the, and the reason we, we're not sort of, I guess, bottling is, is that there's a number of the factors that drove house prices up to where they are now uh, are still around, and, and the biggest one being a, a desperate shortage of supply and, and very low interest rates. And so neither of those factors have changed. Those are quite fundamental to the market. Um, and so, you know, we, we think there is still support there for, for house price inflation. Yeah, and the other ingredient in there too is, is people are probably feeling a little bit more confident about their, their job security than even even six months ago as the economy continues to to recover. And that's a, that's a helpful thing as well too. One of the other things yeah. I've been thinking about is, it, it, it might change things drastically for someone that was considering buying a rental property for the first time now. Um, but for someone that's already got a portfolio of rental properties, um, then these changes take a while to phase in, don't they? And so so it's not like suddenly the market's going to be awash with some people that are getting out of the of the market at all. So we're, we're in that situation where, from a listings perspective, the housing market's probably still going to stay pretty tight, do you think? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think if we were thinking about a scenario where these changes might have a really big impact on the market and, and causes cause a big price correction, it would be under a scenario where investors exited. So there was a you know a large scale selling of houses, and and certainly you know offshore, that's the sort of thing you see that would catalyse a, a house price correction. Um, but but we don't think that's likely, and basically it's because. Um, if investors were all to sell a whole bunch of houses at once, the, the tax liability under the under the Brightline test would be significantly more than the tax liability for staying in the market and, and losing your de- deductibility. Yeah, um, and and there's also the 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 uh, other factor that we we talk about CDB, which is well, where where are you going to stash all the money? You know, asset allocation in the current low yield environment is a bit of a headache, and so you know if you're not owning property where are you going to stash the cash? And there isn't any sort of obvious alternative with the likes of, you know, equity markets being priced relatively rich um, and, and you know, yeah, of course income rates very low. Yeah, and, you, and you're going to pay tax on the dividend stream from 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 shares, just like you're now um, going to pay a bit more tax from the, um, from the um, property portfolio. Do you think it'll change people's attitudes to maybe looking at things like um, – Commercial property and 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 some of the syndicated commercial properties that are out there that still seem to have the the same tax scenario they had in the in the past. Um, commercial property, I'm not I'm not as convinced. I think you know if you look at property investment in New Zealand, it's it's largely dominated by the for want of a better term the mun, mums and dads. It, it's it's folk that own uh, you know two houses, say their their own home and one more, or maybe two rental properties. 
Um, and so th- those those sorts of investors are not particularly familiar with or have any material desire, I think, to, to broaden out into the likes of commercial property, which is really a whole different uh, kettle of fish. And so New Zealand property investment is kind of unique in that sense in that it's it's quite small in nature. Uh, it, you know, we don't have the the listed real estate funds and such like that you see off offshore. I think what it might mean, though, is you know investors having more of a look at new builds um, because obviously there's some exemptions there around the deductibility issue. Um, you know, and, and that reflects basically the government's stated aim to to boost the supply and and, and building of, of new homes. So there might be uh, a bit more of a switch there. We know. You know, new builds are, are coming on onto the market at a, at a pretty frenetic pace. Um, but the interesting thing on that, I think, to, to watch is you know whether we see any crowding out effects from you know investors getting into the new build market, where uh, it's ten- had has tended to be a first home buyer dominated market um, at the moment. You know, the share of first home buyers in the new build market is, is slightly ahead of investors. And so whether investors tilt into that market and, and push prices up will be something to watch, I think. Yeah, that'll be interesting. And I, and I think one of the things that uh, when we got the LVR restrictions from the RBNZ in, since 2013, there was they were quick to adjust them when they thought this could be impacting uh, the supply of housing in the market. That would be an undesirable consequence of the LVR restrictions. And likewise, for the government, they'll have a lot of thinking to do to make sure that these rule changes don't have an unintended consequence, particularly if it slows down the overall growth in the pool of houses that are out there for people to live in, because that's the, that's the big problem at the end of the day, isn't it? That's right. That's right. And, and it, it already there's signs of it turning into a bit of a whack-a-mole game with housing. I mean, it's it's such a complex issue. So you sort of solve one problem, but another one pokes out somewhere else, and you sort of rush to to pl- you know put a sticking plaster on, on that one. I think I think the the governance needs to be, or, or, or sorry, the um, the benchmark needs to be. You know, is are there are the measures that are coming forward in terms of how do we solve and sort out the housing crisis? going to boost supply? What is the ultimate um, outcome going to be something that lifts supply or restricts it further? And, and cause, Because that remains the number one issue. Uh, you know, investors, uh, and it used to be offshore buyers, sort of get targeted from time to time um, f- for their participation in the market. But you know, in some sense, that, that that's just a symptom of the fact that we don't have enough supply in New Zealand. We don't have enough houses. And so we, we, we have these shortages that are quite pervasive and difficult to solve and and I think the focus needs to remain there and ensure that any any, any of these new measures that are coming through are ultimately going to lead to some long-term improvement of the ability to, to provide housing. Yeah. And if if this um, all takes a little bit of froth out of the housing market and, and then in turn a little bit of um, the um, froth out of the growth outlook for the economy, does it change your thinking about what the RBNZ will want to do in terms of interest rates? It seems that the... Uh, the, the thoughts that maybe the RBNZ is a little bit behind and will need to be raising rates maybe early next year. There's no talk about that these days. What are you, what are you thinking with the interest rate outlook for the RBNZ? Yeah, well, folk have backed off the idea certainly that the Reserve Bank was uh, you know potentially going to lift interest rates as early as you know the first quarter of, of next year. I mean that pricing had probably got a little bit away um, from reality <laughs> anyway. And so those housing announcements have seen that push back. And, and certainly the Reserve Bank was under pressure on housing. House, there was a house price boom that in some sense was fueled by cheap money that the Reserve Bank itself was you know, underpinning. Um, and so that's one less, I guess, headache 
for the Reserve Bank to the extent we do see the housing market come off at least a little bit. Um, but look, I, th- I think the the broader issue in terms of central bank policy, including the Reserve Bank, is just being this global tussle that, that's emerged between central banks telling the market and telling analysts that, look, they're not thinking about uh, pulling away the punch bowl for a long time and everyone to just go go back to watching the data and chill out for a bit, to, you know, fixed income investors going, well, I'm looking at, you know, some some pretty rapid uh, inflation increases coming through and coming through in pretty short order. We're seeing boom-like conditions in parts of the global economy. It's a bit pockmarked in terms of how the recovery is being, but, you know, the US is expected to grow 5 6% this year and next. Um, China still up around 8 9% rates of growth. Um, and so, you know, investors are kind of going, well, this is going to cause inflation pressure. We're seeing commodity prices um, bounce quite aggressively. Iron ore prices overnight had a new record high. Um, so there is going to be some inflation coming through, and, and the question is going to be, well, are, are central banks going to react to that or not? Um, central banks are saying no. The markets are saying, well, yes, you are. Um, and, and there's this tussle going on. So uh, I, th- I still think, you know, housing aside, or our, our view remains that the Reserve Bank's probably going to have to start reducing monetary, monetary policy um, a little bit earlier than it perhaps would like to do. Um, and that's because, you know, these inflation pressures are here. We think, as you mentioned, Labor markets uh, are improving at a rate of knots uh, that have been quite amazing, really, and certainly faster than central banks have expected. You know, unemployment in the UK is now below 5%, below 5% here in New Zealand. It's at 5% in Australia. Um, and and the, re- the recovery in those markets has been remarkable. And, that, and that's going to bring about some wage inflation too. So that's sort of, that's another dollop of inflation pressure on, on the heap for, for central banks to have to think about. Yeah, so at some stage they need to react, and, and investors need to react in the sense that um, if you if you were getting say half a percent for a for a ten year government bond like September last year, well that was never going to get pace with inflation even when it was at its at its lows. But now that we're starting to talk about inflation of of a couple of percent, um, maybe even a bit more. Um, or even on target inflation, interest rate markets seem to be adjusting, and and we've seen a a big step up in in rates over the last uh, six months when we're mm. moving away from central banks and talking about five to ten year bonds, and we're seeing it in our portfolios. The, the, and it's tricky for people to get their heads around, but uh, you know the the benchmarks and and people's bonds within their portfolios have have gone down by a percent or so, not because there's a credit event, but just because we've seen this upward adjustment in interest rates and and a downward adjustment in, in prices. So it seems there's there's a lot happening in the bond market, and that'll be a an area to watch over the next year or so. Yeah, I think the key thing is really you know is this pickup in inflation going to be sustained or some, or the start of something broader, or is it just temporary like? Central banks are telling us um, is is the case, and so for, for bo- the bond market, that is, I think, the number one question for this year. And I think the second half of the year will be will be pretty telling in that respect when we start to see this. You know, the numbers reflect what has been a, a turnaround in, in economic activity that began last year, and, and what what it's all meaning for inflation and, and wage inflation um, in particular. And of course, you know, what happens in the bond market with respect to, to interest rates. Will have implications for other markets. Uh, you know, share markets being one, and I guess we've st- started to see share markets pay a little bit more attention to what's been going on in bond markets uh, you know, in the last six months than we have, you know, p- 
perhaps over the last few years. Yeah, I think one of the things which uh, we talked about quite a bit when the New Zealand share market was going well uh, was the fact that it pays a decent dividend and uh, on you know, there's a lot of stocks that are paying over 4% dividend yield and, and that's pretty appealing when term deposits or government bond yields are down around 1%. But when they start to lift like they have done, people will ask the question, well, where might this uh, stop? I'd take uh, 4% from a government bond before I took it from a company in terms of a risk uh, return. Um, so where we think things might settle for those yields is a really important for for investors that are making um, those sorts of trade-offs. But I think it's uh, it's going to be an interesting time. So far, it looks like the, uh, the central bankers have been uh, talking... Uh, very dovish and 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 trying to avoid some sort of taper tantrum like we saw back in the uh, Bernanke era when when markets really panicked just at the at the at the mention of of winding back stimulus. So hopefully we can continue to avoid that sort of thing. Yeah, it certainly seems like they've all been you know singing off the you know one song sheet which the, which they've been passing around the world, sort of saying, look, don't get ahead of yourself. Everything's fragile. Inflation's temporary. We're seeing that mantra rolled out a lot. The we did see, you know, interestingly, maybe the first signs of one bank breaking ranks last week, which, which was the Bank of Canada, who for the first time kind of acknowledged that, well, yes, we might be past the worst here and uh, ultimately inf- uh, interest rates will have to rise uh, at some stage. And, and, and in fact, I can't quite remember, but might have actually explicitly forecast that happening. So, I mean, that that was interesting for me. You know whether or not that's the harbinger of of more central banks doing the same, but um, we'll just have to watch how things pan out in the, yeah. in the next few months. And and be doing a bit of explaining about what's going on within the bond funds to our investors, I imagine. So yeah, a bit of work to to do there. What about some of the other things the Reserve Bank's doing, um, like the large scale asset purchases and their funding for lending programs? Um, how do you think they are working? Yeah, it's it's hard to observe them working directly. They're, they're sort of uh, quite mythical. Um, Kind of beasts for the for the average investor or person on the street. Um, they're difficult to observe, but they are working. Uh, you know what we've seen is, you know, as we've talked about quite a lot. You know, very steep increases in wholesale interest rates, uh, not just in New Zealand but around the world, which you would normally expect to translate through to, to increases in, in retail rates. Um, but there is a bit of a blunting mechanism in place, which is, you know, variously the other stuff that the Reserve Bank is doing, whether it be Buying bonds, hand over fist, still, or um, you know other mechanisms like the FLP, the funding for lending program, whereby the Reserve Bank directly lends to to commercial banks at at low rates of interest. Um, so there has been an impact there, uh, definitely in, in holding the likes of you know mortgage and business rates down lower than they would be otherwise. Perhaps it's always very difficult to figure out just how much. Um, and and the other impact, of course, is probably on the exchange rate, which, as the Reserve Bank has said, is is trading lower than it would otherwise be if if the Reserve Bank here was not doing quantitative easing or, or buying bonds. Although again, no one knows by how much. But you know, on that score, I mean, it's it's interesting to me that you know, as I said before, iron ore prices are now higher than they were in two thousand and eleven. Two thousand and eleven, the Aussie dollar was trading at you know a dollar ten against the US, which is you know somewhere around thirty or forty cents uh, higher than where it is now. So so there is. Some impact clearly, yeah, uh, from other things. And the same going. here. We just we just bumped up our uh, dairy price forecast for next season, um, and you know we're going to get 
milk price um, payments to farmers somewhere north of 750 this year and, and next based on our forecast, which is just a great outcome. Um, but again, for the Kiwi, we were knocking around, I think, 88 cents or something like that against the US dollar when we when we peaked. And, and here we are in the... Um, in the low to mid seventies, so mm. so there is some positive impact, which is which is which is helpful. But it's it's like if everyone's doing this quantitative easing, we all we all have some sort of impact on our exchange rate. But at least uh, Australia and New Zealand's dollars aren't going crazy and 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 wrecking those good global export price stories. Yeah, yeah. And what about for the share market? I mean, that that currency that's I guess been rising, but is is lower than otherwise. Is that sort of helping? Some of the earnings in terms of our, our, our export orientated companies. Yeah, I think it's been a, it's been an interesting story there. I've kept a um, a close eye on uh, Fish and Paykel Healthcare. They they just had such a phenomenal um, period of earnings upgrades, and 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 then their share price started to come in a bit of downward pressure. With uh, as it looked like, hey, you know, the vaccines are going to start to work, and you know, the year ahead will probably and hopefully not be as busy for them as, as COVID's behind us. But now we've got this sort of third wave and and, and clearly um, huge numbers of cases in, in places like India and uh, and their short share prices come back up. And so, um, you know, the, the exchange rate's important for um, for companies like that. Um, you know, we've mentioned uh, Fon, Fonterra. I guess more broadly, rather than the exchange rate, the thing I've been interested in the share market is... Uh, what does the outlook mean for some of the stay-at-home stocks that have done well and some of the healthcare stocks that have done well over the next couple of years when hopefully COVID's behind us? But um, yeah, this this latest wave and, um, and, and, and the lockdowns again in the Northern Hemisphere has perhaps pushed pause on that mm. ro- ro- rotation for now, but I think that'll be a thing to watch in the share market um, beyond uh, how, the, uh, how the currency's going. And the other thing which is hard to avoid here is is this story with the um, with the electricity stocks that that just rocketed away late last year, and as they got included in um, these uh, these clean energy um, indices or exchange traded funds, and uh, and then and then came back down when 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 the benchmarks were adjusted. So uh, those have been some pretty big themes that have been playing out in the New Zealand share market, as well as the usual macro stuff of of low interest rates and a and a reasonably favourable exchange rate. Yeah, and and then so just to put you on the spot here, I mean, what what's your sense? I mean, there's been, there's been a little bit of chatter about why the New Zealand markets kind of, I guess, underperformed when you look at some of those offshore. Stock indices like, you know, for example, you know the, the S and P five hundred and the Nasdaq hitting, you know, fresh record highs most days at the moment. I mean, are those um, those Gentailer stocks part of the story there? Or yeah, yeah, and, and and you could add the Aussie market. That's that's gone better than our market too. And the uh, one big part of the story there is Aussie's got a, a lot more exposure to those um, those hard commodities. Um, and, mm. and iron ore in particular, uh, that's helped their market. But the, a big thing there too is the uh, the financial stocks in the in the Aussie market that make up a big chunk of their index. And and you know this recovering global recovery theme, um, combined with the low interest rate environment, has been pretty supportive for for those stocks too. So there's a few reasons of of what's in the New Zealand market, particularly those uh, electricity stocks. Um, that are behind the underperformance, and also what's not in it, um, yeah. such as the, uh, the the big smattering of, of financial stocks that are that have led to some um, differing uh, performance. But one of the things I think that's that's really useful to do at times like this is to 
is to look at it and go, well, actually, we're just back to where we were in November on those um, electricity stocks. And so there's a little bit of a theme of, hey, there's been some volatility in there. But actually, if you look at the longer picture, um, things are actually on on a reasonable track here. Um, a little bit like the bond market, maybe yields got pushed too low um, around September last year, mm. and we've got some payback for it now. Same within the share market. If we uh, if we look at um, values, probably got pushed too high around the Christmas period, and now we're back to more like where we um, where we think we were. And there's and there's other stock specific stories in there as well. But overall, I I think the market's functioning pretty well. But it is a really unusual because we've had quite a few years where the New Zealand share markets just steadily outperformed That's right. other other markets, and and so we're. Um, in an unusual position to be to be lagging, but hopefully over the uh, over the year ahead, uh, things will even out. The other thing, which is a little bit tricky at the moment, is if you look at annual, annual performance, it looks staggering. Uh, but that's of course yep. because we're um, we're going back to uh, start on the first of April, twenty twenty, and um, we capture all but a week of the share market recovery. Our markets were at their low point. Um, in uh, around 23rd of, of March. So it's actually really hard to look through the noise and and and, and get a good steer on performance uh, these days. And I think that'll be the case for, for a while because there's all these unusual events to, mm. uh, to, to ponder. But for people that are interested in that, I try and make heads or tails of it each, uh, each month in my market's monthly report. So that's a, one place to, to start to try and keep track of it. It does highlight for me, just as you were talking then, CDB, notwithstanding the fact that those annual growth rates are, are overstated because of the base effects mm. this time last year, but it does highlight the fact that the share market um, is still performing, you know, oftentimes, and including in the past year, performs that much stronger than a lot of other asset classes, notably housing yeah. in New Zealand. For all the attention that, that housing gets for, understandably, for, for growing, you know, up at, well, close to thirty percent. Well, what, what's the annual uh, rate of growth in the share market? Oh, you would have been pretty pretty brave to uh, to to drop some money in the share market uh, or, or the housing market in in April last year. Um, but if you but if you did, um, you're, you're going to be up thirty percent. Um, oh, okay. And so and and fifty percent in international shares. So so phenomenal growth there. Um, in in those in those markets and uh, so so yeah you're right but people often don't look like that and we try and encourage people not to get too enthusiastic about very short term returns but but the return on growth assets has been uh, has been pretty amazing and if we if we look over five years to um, you know the return in the New Zealand share market's well over ten percent so it's a pretty strong return that's that's for sure and 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 hopefully we'll continue to see some um, reasonable performance. Um, over the years ahead, but it wouldn't surprise me if we see a bit of volatility as we go through all this uncertainty, and and particularly with those interest rate adjustments. Hey, so obviously that's going to be something that I'm going to be watching. Um, the uh, the reporting season in the states at the moment is pretty pretty important, um, and definitely I'll be keeping a wary eye on the bond market. It's it's actually looks like it's paused a little bit over the last month or so. Those that big rise in yield seems to have stopped, and actually. Um, Gone, gone sideways for a month or so, but I'll be watching to see if that picks up uh, again. What sort of things are you going to be uh, keeping on over the next couple of months? Well, I'm looking forward to uh, watching the cricket, actually, CDB. So, um, fair enough. Yeah, yeah hopefully yeah, they mainly. hopefully they all get there. If I can sidestep markets for a moment, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, Kiwi cricketers heading off to England and then uh, playing the World uh, Test Championship final against India. Um, that's going to be uh, pretty exciting for me. But in terms of markets. Uh, look, I think it's. 
I think, and we, we've talked about this earlier in the podcast, but I think, you know, the number one question for financial markets, which has implications everywhere, is really, you know, when when does the punch bowl get removed by central banks? And, and, and for that, we need to look at, you know, where inflation does print. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that, how that goes in the next wee while. Um, my my sense is it's going to come in above where central banks and, and and many have been expecting. And so you know what that that's going to test the metal of of central banks and their communication. You know whether they can weather that and believe, keep the faith that it's a short term spike, or whether they are. Uh, we we'll do have to think about um, signalling the end of, of stimulatory policy some sometime down the road. Um, and you know. Aside from what I'm watching, the other the other factor I found you know quite useful and telling in 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 the post COVID era, since we're calling it that now, is just talking to to firms, talking to businesses, um, because the the information you know we've been able to get in terms of how how firms are seeing things is both obviously very timely compared to looking at the data and, and has proved to be quite prescient. I mean, the the feedback I got um, quite early on, um, you know. I guess winter of last year was that no one could quite believe how well or resilient their firm had been against the the various predictions of of doom and gloom that were coming out as a result of COVID. Um, sort of cautious, but but at the same time, kind of pleasantly surprised, and that's kind of being borne out ultimately in, in some of the data, as in terms of how well the economy is, has has performed. And what and what they're saying now is is basically they're really struggling on a number of fronts, struggling with uh, capacity and then shortages of of goods for those where you know certain imported components are key parts of their supply chain. Um, they're seeing that being manifest in, in in terms of cost and price increases, and they're also really struggling to get staff. Um, so that's another you know shortage, if you like, shortage of staff, which is being manifest in wage increases. Um, and don't see a lot of from what I've heard and seen. Um, uh, any relief on the on the horizon, and at least in the short term. So, um, you know that that's some real, I guess, growth challenges for the economy this year, and and also some some upward pressure on inflation as well. So, um, you know, I'm I'm enjoying getting out and talking to to firms, and um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see how that whole kind of uh, thematic evolves in, in the next few months. Yeah, it's, it's, when you when you say that, it, it reminds me of, of basically what we would have been talking about if we thought, what does the year look ahead look like if we'd been having this conversation in, in December 2019? You know, we were worried about a bit of a sugar rush in the That's housing right. market and how that could get reined in. We were worried about a low un- unemployment rate uh, and what that might mean for firms to be able to expand and and we looked at the sectors that should go really well, like construction, and think, well, you're already going gangbusters. It's pretty hard to imagine you growing any any more. So rather than being a monstrous game changer, there's some parts of the economy that are really just now back to facing the same problems they were facing um, 15 months ago. And and that's something that, that none of us really expected. But actually, we've just gone back to the things that we were worried about um, back before all of this um, pandemic um, changed our lives so much. Yeah, that, that's right, and and it sort of relates to something I've been thinking about for you know what kind of the likes of ourselves and economists uh, kind of missed with COVID, which was it wasn't the game changer as you as you rightly said, it wasn't a, a, something that turned the cycle. It was more of a pause, 
it, it paused the cycle, so it paused the inflation cycle, the house price cycle, potentially the, the even the labour market cycle. I mean, people thought, well, this is this is going to be ten percent unemployment. This is going to be no wage growth for years. Blah blah blah. Um, so instead of tipping all those markets over, share market included, mm. it was more sort of a, we hit pause in, in a you know true lockdown sense of the word for a, a few months, and and most of those markets more or less resumed. Uh, you know where they left off, which is a, a generalisation, sure, but um, yeah, it hasn't been quite the the cycle tipping game changer that we might have thought. It's, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, hopefully the we're uh, back talking about what we were talking about. Yeah, the econ- <laughs> the economy can pick up where uh, where it left off, and hopefully the New Zealand cricketers can pick up where they left off and keep on just really going uh, incredibly well. So uh, we'll both be looking forward to that, as I'm sure lots of our listeners are. Hey, thanks for joining me again, Mike, and I'll um I'll really look forward to uh, to catching up again and 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 seeing how some of these things pan out. Pleasure as always. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to the ASB Investment Podcast. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss on a future show, get in touch at podcasts at asb.co.nz.